Welcome to Food and Loathing, kind of like a weekly town hall meeting that you'd really like to attend, because instead of annoying politicians and political reporters, it's all about deliciousness. Yeah. <laughs> I'm your host, Al Mancini, and allow me to apologize in advance for my scratchy voice. I had some doctors down my throat yesterday doing some doctor stuff. And while I'm feeling fine, it sounds like they may have had a few fender benders while backing oh, the God. equipment out of the driveway. Ah. <laughs> uh, I am joined in the co-host position by OffTheStrip.com's Samantha Gemini Stevens coming to us via Zoom. Hello, Gemini. How are you doing this fine day? I'm doing pretty well. I think I'm doing a little bit better than you are. My nah, allergies. <laughs> I'm fine and I'm alive. That's all that matters. Going Absolutely. Out to eat. Got f- got dinner plans tonight and for the next few days. So I'm, I'm doing well, baby. There you no go. No problem. I'm loving my life. You should. Also with us, making sure our voices are properly modulated, the one and only Rich, the engineer Johnson. But to paraphrase a long dead comedian, I believe he's dead. You could call him Rich or you could call him Rich, the engineer, or you could call him Big Richie Engine. But you doesn't have to call him Johnson. Actually, actually, yes, you do have to call me Johnson. That is one of the requirements of knowing me. Oh, okay, Mr. Johnson. (laughs) Very good. You're learning. Uh, We have a great show for you today. Later in the show, I'll be speaking with Kate Gaines of Three Square about the work that group does feeding our hungry and food insecure neighbors and offer you some short interviews with Evil Pie's Samantha Bandy. And if all goes well after this recording session, Morimoto Las Vegas chef Lucas McAwayak. And I've I'm sure I mispronounced that, but I'm going to have having a little Polish uh, around the house. I'm going to say Makovic. Makovic, you're saying. okay. well, that's cool. I am half Polish, but I do not do the names very well. (laughs) I guess Uh, Clearly, as you can see, don't even Um, do the Italians all that well either. I don't do that that well either. No, man, I'm just, um, you know, I'm an American mongrel. I speak American mongrel. That's about it. I Um, like that mongrel. Before we get to all that, we like to get you a little hungry by discussing some meals we've eaten. These really aren't restaurant reviews, which are always my least favorite parts of my many oh, food writing yeah. jobs. But it's as close as we get to restaurant reviews on this podcast. <laughs> to start us off this week, why don't we go to our man of the people and our fast food junkie, Rich. Where the hell have you been eating since last we spoke? No fast food I'm admitting to this week. What? And I don't think I have actually been. I was home a lot. I'll get to that. We did make it finally up uh Finished the uh, the Rick Moon and Hat Trick and went to Lotus of Siam up at uh, Red Rock. Had so two uh, basic, you know, usual suspect dishes: uh, the uh, chicken basil and uh, drunken noodles with pork. Uh, they kind of were the same thing, as it turned out. The sauce was almost identical: one with chicken and one with the uh, uh, sliced pork. One nice thing is that the server asked if I wanted ground chicken or the sliced pieces of chicken. I said sliced, absolutely sliced. I don't Agreed. much like. The ground chicken. I forget when I go to Natalia's near my house, Secret Kitchen, that they default thing is ground chicken. And I sometimes remember, sometimes not. Does it? No, give me the slice. Give me the slice chicken. <laughs> nice, great atmosphere, as we said. And then we also went over to the Rouge Lounge, walked through the tunnel of darkness and into another world uh, with a whole bunch of people. We're really early, like 5.30, quarter to six. So there's more servers than people. But it, definitely they were expecting some people on a Friday night. 
All those nice booze that Rick Moon had talked about a couple of weeks ago in dark little spots conversation. The music was kind of low. It was his own good music. There were two pianos out there in the middle, so it's dueling piano oh, time dueling once piano. in a while. Yeah. And a yeah. Love a good, love a good oh. piano duel. We should also yeah. clarify, you're calling this the Rick Moon and um, trio or trilogy. <laughs> this is just stuff that Rick spoke about on the podcast. Yeah. It's not I He's not it. associated with any of these things. He's just not associated with hardly anybody these days. Ah, <laughs> uh, he's got stuff going on, man. He's not here, not here in Vegas, right. not that much. Also, uh, grab some uh, eight east to go. The vital Vegas style uh, fried rice, which uh, was uh, like three meals because it's a lot when you add the chicken skewers on there. Always 80s. wonderful. Eighties, of course, at Circa for anybody who doesn't know. Yep. And Vital Vegas is the um the the I guess the combination named after our friend Scott Robin. Remind people what that is, Rich. It is the brisket fried rice added with two chicken skewers, a big honking hunks of uh, that sounds like a lot chicken. of food. It is a lot. That's what makes it sort of a main dish over a couple of days, <laughs> not a side to share with two or three. There people you go. Think. And there's um, no reason I can think of to add chicken to brisket in the same dish as your I, proteins, except that we love Scott Robin at Vital yeah, Vegas. So go. I order it that way as well. <laughs> and it's, it's great. It's fine. It's everything's done sort of on the same uh, fire. So so there's a commonality there. I uh, <laughs> did some uh, good stuff at home. I did uh, some smoked salmon on my little chief smoker from Hood River, Oregon. Kind of my father had he must have had five of those over the course of 60 years uh and it's just a little thing it's like a hundred bucks it's thin cheap aluminum there's a little electric element and a little pan that sits on that on which you put the the uh, wood chips and then you let it go for an hour and a half and then you change the chips and then you change them again it's pretty cold smoke it doesn't get more than about 160 170 so it was about three hours on there i was still a little underdone so i threw it in the oven for about 10 minutes on 300 and and that that did it great also gave it a little more crust all i did is salt and pepper on it i'm I'm really a nice. purist on that. I took about a third of it and made my father's famous uh, salmon dip, which is really easy. It's cream cheese. It's the smoked salmon and it's Worcestershire and super finely diced onion. Mix it all up, put it on your little cracker or dip something in it. It's especially good the next day after everything is melded. That's a real mm. Pacific Northwest thing. Pretty simple stuff. It sounds like lox um, spreads that you get in New York. Yeah, jelly, yeah. Right? Except so. the smoky element. I mean, it's a hard smoked piece. It's not a, like yeah. a very soft. Oh, I love stuff. it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm not there yet, but I'll be uh, getting there by by next show. Uh, Aloha Hawaiian Grill is now open in that tiny food court at the plaza. It was a Chinese joint paying rent. Now it's a hotel owned place like the Mexican Grill and Papa Pizza. It promises. All your favorite Hawaiian classics from Calbee short ribs and teriyaki chicken to Kalua pork and ahi poke. So a little something to tease you with for next week. There we you go. tease you. Yeah. Uh, how about you, Gemini? <laughs> Any good meals? Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't do a whole lot, but I had some cravings this week for some Asian food. And um, two of my favorites are, of course, uh, anything Korean and anything Vietnamese. So I tried two new to me places this week, including Lee's Korean Barbecue at 6820 Spring Mountain Road for some seafood sundubu and some steamed egg. Uh, it's a longtime fave. I had a craving. Like I said, I had to get some in my life. Um, I always add a soft boiled or raw egg to my sundubu while it's still bubbling hot. In this case, the egg was already in it before it got there. So it was a little overcooked. And I wanted the separate steamed egg to be softer. It was tender, but 
I like the more like super soft scrambled texture versus the more solid dish, but still really good. Um, I only got a four out of 10 on my spice because it was a new to me place. And I'm always cautious when I don't know somebody's scale, um, but it had a really good spice. It had some peppers in there. Um, I didn't care for the blended tofu in the stew. I, I want the chunks. Um, so it sounds like I have all these problems with the place, but I didn't. I would absolutely go back. The flavors are really good. Everything tasted amazing. Um, so I still do absolutely recommend it. Enjoyed it overall. Just some quirky things. I'll give you a Radio 101 tip when doing advertising because I did a lot of advertising on local radio. <laughs> give me a location, not an address. Spring Mountain and what? Okay. What I, was it? Off the top of my head, I don't know. You don't know? Which, don't which, which thing it was? Okay. Which uh, was shopping yeah, well, center? Spring Mountain all blends together after a certain oh, amount of time, yeah. doesn't it? All right. I failed in my uh, instructions today. Yeah, because there's a couple of Lees on, on Spring Mountain. So next time I will be, I'll do the cross street. All right. Well, how about this next one? <laughs> uh, also don't have the cross street. <laughs> okay. The uh, podcast do, I will, of shame I today. Better. <laughs> I'll prepare better for next time. Um. So going into the next one. Uh, wow, you just you just took the <laughs> totally wind out of her sails. Sorry. Wow, nothing like totally. calling somebody out in the middle Dude, of the podcast. That's okay. This it's a teaching East moment. Palestine it's style derailment here. <laughs> okay, uh, give me just two seconds. Another new one for me was Sugar Mama Sugar Cane Juice, which advertises itself for juices and smoothies and things like that. This one's located at 5150 Spring Mountain Road, uh, but I went for the Vietnamese dishes. Um, obviously, like I said earlier, there's a trend this week. I went for the rare beef pho uh, with beef balls, um, had some gyoza, some fresh spring rolls. The pho broth was probably some of my favorite in Vegas right now. It was rich. It was flavorful. I added nothing to it besides the accompanying vegetables and herbs. It just simply didn't need anything added to it. Usually I would add spice or, you know, maybe some garlic oil or something like that. I didn't add anything. It was perfect. Um, the other thing I did this week is Naked City Pizza, the Palmieri Brothers on Paradise over by uh, I'm not even sure what that little cross street is, but it's by Office Bar and Double Down Saloon right before you go into the airport area. In the neighborhood that we used to affectionately refer to as the Fruit Loop, which I'm sure yes, a new generation yes, of exactly. a new generation of LGBTQ <laughs> people would probably not realize how endearing that was. It and really to, was to every yes. gay person I know called it the Fruit Loop. So, um, but yes, that was that's, yeah. that's right in there. It, right in there. And uh, they had a special pizza this week. They advertised it online. They only offered 20 pizzas. So we ordered one as soon as we could. A squid ink 48 hour fermented dough covered in clams in their shells, some calamari, some crab meat and more. Um, I know how people feel about cheese and seafood. I'm not that purist about it, depending on what it is. This was really good. It was fun and salty and fishy in the best way and delicious. And also just a little bit of news, I'll throw it in there since I'm already talking about them. They are now opening at 9 a.m. for the foreseeable future and offering breakfast sandwiches and some other dishes to see how maybe the breakfast crowd would be uh, built up over there. So keep and an eye out. And what's the name of that pizza? This is the Kraken Pizza from Naked City Pizza. It's okay. a specialty, so you've got to watch their social media to see when it pops up again. See, the way yeah, our so hockey teams are going, it's a chance that the Golden Knights will be playing the Seattle Kraken. Yeah, the next there you round. go. Yeah. have to come up with a new name. <laughs> Um, no, I saw pictures of that crack and pizza online. I actually reposted them. They looked really good. It um, was super delicious. Yeah. yeah. 
So that, of course, brings it to me. Unless I've Where been have canceled, you been eating? Unless I've been canceled for referring to an out-of-date um, <laughs> reference to geography. In which case, seriously, I didn't mean anything negative by it. We used oh, to say that nicely. No, it was endearing. <laughs> yes. Okay. So um, let's start with what arrived at my door last week, because lots of very strange things get delivered to my doorstop every week. My doorstep every week, not my door stop. And I rarely chat about them, but I'm hoping this will lead to an interview opportunity over the next next week or two. So I'll tell you about John Taffer's brown butter bourbon. Did anybody oh, else get this dropped at their no. door? No, no, but I want to get on this now. list. <laughs> so, um, you know, the idea of adding sweet flavoring to bourbons has been floated many times over the years with little success. Yeah. I remember a big press push for Ambrose banana flavored whiskey a few years ago, a local company that I haven't heard from in a while. Um, Now, look, I am not an expert on the spirits market and marketing. I mean, I should have run this past Sammy Hagar when I chatted with him this week. But um, I got to think people are the people who are coming up with these are looking for a way to get a bourbon or an American whiskey into the summertime pool cocktail market. That's Ah. certainly where I could see Taffer's brown butter bourbon working well with its, quote, notes of vanilla and toffee. And yes, I could very definitely taste them. You know, when you say notes of vanilla and toffee, that to me suggests like the way that I I pick up a really good tequila and it tastes like tequila. But if you try really hard, you see little notes of vanilla right. back there or something like that. These are not notes. I mean, let's be abundantly clear. <laughs> these are th- these are um, I was going to say a symphony of vanilla and toffee, not a note. Um, so, you know, I cannot imagine sipping this in the way you'd sip a fine, fine bourbon. It's just too sweet. I suppose, um, some people might want to shoot it the way they shoot fireball shots or something like that, but I'm no longer a shooter, so I can't speak to that for me. It doesn't lend itself to an after dinner drink in the way that a grand Meunier would, but I, I really do think that it would be good for a cocktail that would draw some attention on a pool menu, uh, simply due to the curiosity factor of ordering a bourbon drink poolside. I'm hoping I'm going to get the chance to talk to Mr. Taffer about it next week. So I'm curious to see how he envisions it being used. Um, Look, if you're the kind of person that orders um, flavored vodkas and loves them and, you know, just has them straight up, then, you know, (laughs) I I think you would like this as a swing on on um, on bourbon. And the truth is, it's 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 good. It's quality. But I just don't go for that as far as something I would drink, you know, straight up. So, yeah. Sounds like something that would work well in the fall and winter, something to warm you up on a cold day like we have those here. Or, yeah, or put it into a coffee or a hot chocolate. I think. Yeah, there you go. Pretty Ooh, fucking yeah, phenomenal, yeah, yeah. too. So I'm thinking the heat of summer, the cool of winter, uh, but not much for the in between times. Mm. I don't know. Um, anyway, so hopefully we'll chat with him. Then on Star Wars Day, May the 4th, I attended a Star Wars themed fifth anniversary party for Opium in the Cosmopolitan. Afterwards, um, we were all invited to a party hosted by um, Ross Mollison, the the head of the um, of the absinthe family, I guess. And it was catered by the attached restaurant, Super Frico. I only had a couple of slices of their pizza and a, um, a slice of a muffaletta sandwich. Still a good reminder of how good the food is at Super Frico, especially the pizza, which is kind of like a Detroit on steroids with more caramelized cheesy crust than I've ever encountered on a standard Detroit Detroit pizza. It makes me want to get back in there or perhaps interview the chef on this podcast. So I guess I'll have to have my people work on that as soon as I get some people. (laughs) 
Uh, other meals for me this week, a lunch at evil pie, which I'll discuss in the news, some wonderful snacks at DW bistro on a day. Sue that Sue just needed to go out for a drink after work. We all know those days. Yeah. And these DW bistro always hits the spot for that. I had a brisket burrito from barbecue Mexicana at T-Mobile arena. That was the only high point of game one against the Oilers. (laughs) But Uh, since then, yeah, they're doing yeah. much better since then. So maybe I should stay away from these games. I know I'm not going to game five. We're giving that to my friends, Leanne and John. So hopefully they'll bring them more luck than I did at game one. Um, I'm just that- saying they've never lost when I've been there. Okay. Well, Putting if we get to a game there. seven, we may have to have you take our tickets <laughs> this time. Uh, any game seven we'll send you to. <laughs> right. <laughs> then on Sunday, I went out to the Palm Soak pool party to watch Sammy Hagar join a Sammy Hagar tribute band called How Three fun. Lock Box. Um, he jumped up on stage with them for, I think, two songs towards the end of their set. Super cool. And um, I had some great snacks from the Palms team and the cabana over there. Uh, this was a media cabana. It was not my cabana. So, you know, they just gave us a little bit of everything. Chips, sliders, wings, chicken tenders, assorted fries. Everything I tried would great. Um, and I will reiterate, as I've said many times on this show, Soak Pool is one of the great hidden gems in Las Vegas right now. I will definitely be running a cabana there sometime soon. Hopefully the two of you guys will join me out there. Yeah. Absolutely. A wine tasting with a view, a Japanese pop-up on the strip, and Evil Pie's latest creation for charity. First, Al pays a visit to Three Square. This is Food and Loathing. Here you are in Vegas, you're hungry, and the choices are endless. But do you really want to trust the crowd? You can trust Neon Feast, restaurant recommendations from real food pros sharing where they send friends and family. All that knowledge is just a download away on the Neon Feast app. You want the strip, off strip, downtown, great views, great value? Find smart, informed restaurant recommendations on the Neon Feast app and neonfeast.com. You want more? Oh, we got more. Find me every Thursday morning around 8, 10 a.m. on The Club, AM 670 KMZQ. And on TV, you'll find me Fridays around 8.30 a.m. on Wake Up with the CW. And the Neon Feast updates happen all week long on the highway radio stations. That's The Vibe, The Drive, and Highway Country. All three are all over your FM dial. So I'm here on the Three Square campus with Kate Gaines, the Director of Development for the organization. Kate, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. We know we're recording this. People will be hearing this on Friday after your event. But as we're doing this, you're getting ready to have a, a huge gala, kind of one of the events of the year for people in the industry. That's going to be tomorrow. So I want to talk about that. But I really do appreciate you taking some time to chat with me in the middle of all the preparation for that. Um, uh, I guess first things, uh, first things first, how is Three Square doing right now? Well, you know, we're doing as well as we can, given this economic climate that we're in, right? Um, we are um, Southern Nevada's only food bank and largest hunger relief organization, but we're also part of the Feeding America Network, which is nearly 200 food banks nationwide. Right now, we're all feeling the pinch, right? We're seeing that the SNAP emergency benefits have stopped. More people are looking for food in the, every community, and a lot of food banks are struggling to find food because um, there are... Um, supply chain issues and all kinds of different things happening. Yeah, I think that's interesting because, you know, we all look at the emergency measures that were taken during COVID and yeah, a lot of money was flowing and there are a lot of people with a lot of 
uh, opinions on whether it should stop flowing and when it should stop flowing and how much we can afford. But you're on the ground and you're seeing the actual results. Could you just talk a bit about what it means when those SNAP emergency benefits you know, um, stop coming? Because I tried to live on a SNAP budget. You did, guys did a SNAP challenge a few years ago, probably 10, 12 years ago at this point, and um, it, was, I, it was eye-opening for me. So you know, what are you seeing for people as these benefits now go down? Well, we in fact have some data points that I just learned about the other day from our team. We've been watching pantry usage since January in 10-day increments. And it was holding steady from January to February through the beginning of March. And guess what? We saw a 16% increase the week after the SNAP benefits stopped. So we anticipate that's going to continue to go up as people got accustomed to having this sort of extra, a little bit in their pocket, right? But also, to your point, when you're on SNAP benefits, you are still not able to pay for things like um, like basic household items, like paper towels or um, feminine hygiene products, diapers, those kinds of things. And so you're really having to still make tough choices as to how you spend the, the little bit of money that you do have. Yeah, and I, I've got to say, the one thing that was eye-opening for me was how much easier it is to buy unhealthy foods when you're trying to live on a budget, but that when you try to really take care of yourself, and so it becomes a vicious cycle, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's just so inexpensive, right, to get processed foods, or to, it's it's much less expensive to get a cup of soda than it is to get a gallon of milk or um, whatever it is that you might need. So it's, it's tough to make those healthy choices on a budget. Well, I'm glad that you guys are here to help kind of pick up some of that slack that is happening. Um, um, can you give me, just for people that may not know, the background? Three Square's been here since I've been in Las Vegas, and it's been something that I was drawn to because I eat so well, and so many of us do eat so well in this town. And people that are listening to this podcast, many of them eat very, very well. And it is mind-blowing to realize the need. And um, somebody clearly did at some point. Could you talk about how that came about? Yeah, so Three Square just turned 15 years old um, back in December. We opened in December 2007, and it was really the um, vision of Eric Hilton, who's the son of Conrad Hilton, the Hilton Hotel chain, who uh, apparently was watching television one day and saw a story about the number of hungry people. And to your point, he thought, how are there people hungry in this city, the city of access, the city of so many restaurants? So he got the right people together in the community, and they sure enough found that the resources at the time just were not meeting the need. And that's when they brought in Feeding America and various community foundations and community leaders to sort of build Three Square and and help build it to what it is today. Because um, unfortunately, today, one out of seven individuals in our community doesn't always know where their next meal is coming from. One out of four children go home to a home that may not have enough food for them. That date surprises me because I came here in 2001, and I just feel as if you've always been here. So I guess you were not here when I came to town. Um, but, you know, it's obviously I, I, then I've been aware of and hopefully tried to help to whatever extent I could pretty much since day one. And I have seen this organization grow. And the thing that really blows my mind is this campus that we're sitting on here just off of Craig Road. Um, first of all, I think it's doubled in size since I first visited it. But you come here, and I come here after eating my caviar, my foie gras, and, you know, whatever it is that I do, and, you know, gold leaf on my food, and then you see these massive warehouses. It used to be one huge warehouse, and I'm going to ask you to tell me how big they are, but then it expanded to two, and it's hard for me not to get choked up on two different levels. Number one, that the need is there. Every time I see it, and I walk through one of those warehouses, I go, this is so much excuse my language, so much fucking food. And this is 
being rotated through here because there's that much need. And when you see what's piled up, it makes you realize how many people are hungry. Um, but then I also choke up over the fact that you are doing something about it, right? So there's, there's, it's bittersweet to tour this, yeah. this campus. How much food comes in and out of this place? Um, last year, Three Square distributed nearly 38 million meals, which is the equivalent of 45 million pounds. To put that in perspective, our first year in operations, we distributed 10 million pounds of food. And now we're doing nearly 50 million pounds of food annually. And it just goes to your point about the need in our community. Um, the building we're sitting in today is the original site of the Clark County Food Bank. So there was a food bank in existence when you got here. It just wasn't meeting the need at the time. Um, Three Squared opened up and, and began working out of this warehouse. About a year and a half later, we acquired the space next door, which was a similar footprint. So we have about 130,000 square feet that the campus we're on right now. And then during the pandemic, we opened a third building, just about a quarter of the mile up the road, which has an additional 30,000 square feet. Um, and that is our senior hunger campus. And that is where we're doing work for a very vulnerable population, right? Seniors who um, many are maybe homebound, living on a fixed income, um, isolated in many different ways. And so we're ensuring that they're getting the foods that they need. And sometimes they have specific nutrition requirements too, right? They might need low sodium or whole grains or um, certain kinds of foods to make sure that they're healthy and thriving. Um, and also on that um, campus is our three square call center. And that's something that a lot of people don't know a whole lot about, or it's a piece of our work that they're not aware of. Um, and that's where someone in the community can actually call and speak to a human being on the other line. Wow, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, and get directed to resources that they might need. We work with nearly 160 other nonprofit partners. So the way that our food bank works is we are the, the main provider of the food. We source that food and we get it out to our partners. Many of our partners are offering other services because if you're struggling with hunger, you're probably struggling with some other resource in your life as well. And so they're doing things like housing, substance abuse, education. Um, the list goes on and on and on about what our partners do. But we try to alleviate the burden for our partners of trying to find that food. And then they get it into the hands of those who need it. And, and I can attest, um, you know, I was at the Review Journal through most of the pandemic, and I spent a lot of time doing stories where I talked to people who were feeding their neighbors, um, you know, just individual people, people in the restaurant industry that just started it because of the pandemic. And they knew that people that they worked with were now out of work, and they wanted to bring food to them. And, you know, I don't want to name who got what from where, but more often than not, when I was out with these people making their deliveries of something that they'd come up with, they were getting their food from Three Square. So, you know, you you are kind of the root for a lot of other work that goes on, right? Yep. Yeah. And, you know, and our business model turned completely upside down when the pandemic came. So we went from a distribution agency to a direct frontline agency pretty much overnight. Um, when the governor shut down the state, uh, many of our partners had to close. Many of them could not continue to operate and distribute food safely. So we found ourselves on the front lines providing hundreds and hundreds of direct distributions to people, many that you probably saw, like the lines of cars, you know, at Palace Station or Texas Station or somewhere in the community, and just lines and lines of people who suddenly found themselves in a situation that they never expected to be in and weren't sure where to turn. And we were so glad that we could be there, to, that they could turn to us and get dignified access to food. 
Yeah, and it was amazing. And I did cover some of those distributions and the lines. You know, if people don't, we have short memories, but you think back, those helicopter photos of the people lined up, you know, the cars just lined up in, out in front of Palace Station. And those, those were national news, even though this was happening around the country. You know, that, that, that idea of this want in this land of plenty that we live in, you know, was, was shocking to the conscience, I think, of America, you know, as a whole. Um, but we are here specifically because you have your end childhood hunger campaign. You have the, yes, bag childhood hunger campaign, excuse me. Um, and that's going on through the end of this month. I know there are three programs under that, but could you just generally, let's start with what is the point of the, or what is the significance of the bag childhood hunger campaign? Yeah, this is a campaign designed by Three Square nearly 11 years ago to really um, drive resources towards children and families, right? And making sure that they get the nutritious food that they need to thrive. You know, as I mentioned, four, one in four children go home to a food insecure household. We think that that's just frankly unacceptable. And so we were trying, we raise money, nearly $2 million annually, to help our childhood nutrition programs. That includes our Kids Cafe program, where we're providing fresh cold meals to after school programs. We have a summer food distribution program, which is going to get started here in just a few weeks, um, where we're going to be going out to locations all across the valley. Um, any child 18 or under can get a free meal. We also have a mobile route, which has been really um, a great addition to that program. And we also have what we call our Backpack for Kids program. This is a um, shelf-stable weekend kind of emergency meal that goes out to students on a Friday afternoon before they leave school. It's four meals and two snacks intended to sort of help them get through the weekend. Because many of children are relying on school, and they usually get breakfast and lunch for a meal. So we try to fill some of those gaps when they're out of school um, on the weekends and, and uh, summer months. Um, yeah, and I, I know the backpack program is one that I believe, in, when, at least in the day when I was coming down here more frequently, sorry about that, but um, that was the one where a lot of people in our community and a lot of companies in our community volunteer, they come down here, they they pack up those backpacks, right? Yeah, they do. We rely on volunteers to, to pack all those programs for us, frankly, and the backpack program um, is, is a favorite. It's been with Three Square, I think, since the beginning, and since our inception, and it's just one that folks get, they gravitate towards, because everything you touch just like any volunteer activity here but everything you touch for that little bag is going to go to a child yeah and that's clearly you know the sense of purpose in what you're doing when you come down to volunteer I've always been curious about this because I know that you, you try to fill gaps in you know kids that go to school and they might get a meal at school um, but then they don't have food when they go home and that's what the backpacks are for over the weekend etc um, I'm wondering how has like the trend in homeschooling and the fact that so many people aren't going to school. Kids are being taught at home and hopefully their education is doing just fine. But if there's a problem and a need for food, I would think that that would exacerbate it. It could. And, you know, that's a really interesting point and one that we, I don't know, have the data to back and support at this time, because again, it's um, a little bit like I mentioned with seniors or sort of a, a children are easy to find when they're at school. It's when they're out of school. And I know that during the school year, we do a lot of meals. And then during the summer months, those meals start to, the meal count goes down. Because again, we're trying to find the students and hoping that they are available. And that's why I think our mobile route has become so much more um helpful to us and we just continue to try innovative ways and try to find innovative systems to try and make sure we locate those kids get the word out to parents and let them know that hey bring your child here um uh, last summer, there's a story that actually came out of the summer meal program where a father was coming in at the end of the month with his two children, and he would always apologize and say, I try to just come at the end of the month once our SNAP benefits run out and we need the help. And our team said, no, 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 no. Come every week. 
don't just wait till the end of the month when you're having a hard time. Alleviate that burden ahead of time. And it took a little while, but eventually that family started showing up more regularly to get meals for their kids. But I also just think that speaks to the people in our community, right? They're working. They're doing everything they possibly can. They're not necessarily trying to take advantage of the system or anything like that. Um, but it's it's just it's having that little um, meal or something to to just fall back on. And can you imagine the relief as a parent if you can't feed your child? That's just got to be so stressful. <laughs> um, and so that we can be out there in the community and kind of alleviating some of that stress for them and providing nutrition so kids can thrive. I think it's really valuable. You, uh, I know a lot of the people, I know a lot of chefs who volunteer here, and I know a lot of people in the industry that volunteer, and they, they do so much for Three Square. They're, most of them are very modest about it. They don't go around talking about it. Um, could you just talk, maybe name a, name a couple names, because I think they do deserve to be recognized. Are you in a position where you can mention some chefs who have helped you out or some restaurant owners that have helped you out? Well, you, you know, it's really, there are so many, to your point. And so I would almost be doing a disservice if I couldn't name them all a little bit. But um, we do have a culinary council that you can see on our website at threesquare.org. Elizabeth Blau used to chair that council and now Brian Howard's on that council like leading that charge. Um, there's yeah there's just endless number of people who have raised their hand and said hi I'd like to help and this is meaningful for me and they all find their own unique way to get involved. Um, many of them do restaurant week which is coming up in June and they give back that way. Um, they come to this event that we have coming up tomorrow and participate so um too many to name, but a big thank you to all of them for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so Bag Childhood Hunger. Now, this is, as, at its heart, it's a fundraising campaign to try to, to raise money for the programs that you mentioned earlier. So how's the fundraising going? There's people that are listening to this that have some money. Hopefully they want to give you some. So what's the best and most effective way to do it? And what's that money mean? Yeah. So actually right now is a really great time to make that gift because we have a match happening right now through the end of the uh, end of May. So for Typically, for every dollar donated to Three Square, that dollar can turn into three meals. But during this match, thanks to uh, Nevada Gold Mines operated by Barrick and Envy Energy Foundation, that dollar can turn into six meals, which just, you really get your bang for your buck there, right? I mean, who, where else can you get six meals for a dollar? Um, and it's going back to give something good to the community. So you can visit threesquare.org, click on donate, and know that that gift is going to help somebody. And it can be a couple dollars. It could be thousands of dollars. All of it's going to make a huge difference. Um, what about restaurants and chefs that want to get involved? Maybe they don't have the money. We all know how tight restaurant budgets are. You know, they may not have the a struggling restaurant may not have the money to write a check. What can they do? Sure. There's still so much. You can go online, learn about food insecurity, advocate about it, bring awareness to it. Um, sign up your team to come down and volunteer. We always need volunteers at the food bank Monday through Friday. You can do that again on our website, threesquare.org. Click to volunteer, sign up as a group, sign up as an individual, um, or just call one of us and come down and get a tour. Again, to, we love to give tours of this place. We want people to understand what we do and how it works. I think that food insecurity is often very invisible in our community. Um, during the pandemic, though, there was long lines of cars, and suddenly people thought, oh my gosh, I can't believe people are hungry. And I said, I had to tell a lot of people, guess what? They were hungry before the pandemic, too, and they're going to continue to be hungry, unfortunately. Um, so, But it's very much an invisible issue, I think, sometimes. 
Um, now, since this will be airing after your event, um, and hopefully I'll be there, depending on how overtime goes with the Golden Knights game and things like that. But um, I may not be there to tell my listeners about what that event is like. It's been a few years since I've been to it. Just tell people about this cool event that you put on. Yeah, this is a really special event that was um, really um, brought forward by Diana Bennett, one of our board chairs. She hosted this event in her home as a private event for many years. And about five years ago, we relocated that event here to the food bank. And it is really a celebration of our Back Childhood Hunger campaign. I mean, we raised $2 million and we feel like this is an opportunity to celebrate. Many restaurants come, they you know, give their time, give in kind, they are part of this event. Um, it gets underwritten by Diana, the event does, and it's really just an opportunity to say thank you to the community, thank you to all those people that really help make our work possible. Yeah, I remember, I think the last time I was there, it was at Miss Bennett's house. And um, by the way, nice house, if she's listening. <laughs> Thank you so much for everything that you do for, for our community and for taking some time to, to chat with me on what I know is a really busy week for you. Oh, it's my pleasure and appreciate the opportunity. And the news is next on Food and Loathing. We are all over social media. Just search for Food and Loathing or reach out directly, info at foodandloathing.vegas. And where am I these days? What am I doing? Most important, what am I eating, cooking, and learning? Find out anytime at wishboneandvine.com. And one more time, that's info at foodandloathing.vegas. And my site, wishboneandvine.com. All those teletypes tell us what we already know. It's time for the news. Okay, and in the news, the already gorgeous Mizumi in Wynn, Las Vegas has temporarily closed for renovations. I can't imagine how they're going to make that place look better, but I guess it's always <laughs> nice to spruce things up. It's been around for a while. Um, renovations are scheduled to run through the fall, but good news. Chef Min Kim isn't taking the time off. The Michelin-recognized chef will be launching a pop-up called Min's Test Kitchen inside Win Encore's Jardin on Friday, May 26th. That's going to run through September, and it will feature, quote, progressive Asian cuisine inspired by various countries across Asia and the Pacific where Chef Kim has lived, learned, and cooked. We will have more on this and hopefully an interview with Chef Kim a little closer to that opening. Also in the news, Retro by Voltaggio is now open in Mandalay Bay. I will be dining there after we finish recording this episode, yeah. so I will hopefully be discussing it here next week. And congrats to Toasted Gastro Brunch, which has two lo Vegas locations. Also, congrats to Zanadia's Cafe on East Tropicana and to Scrambled on St. Rose Parkway. All three appear on Yelp's national list of the top 100 brunch spots for Mother's Day. Toasted came in at number 22. Zanetas or Zanitas came in at number 61. And Scrambled is number 56. Um, it's no secret that I'm not a huge fan of Yelp, but I am a fan of any organization or person that shines a spotlight on local businesses. So thank you, Yelp. And now you folks have a few more brunch places to check out. And we told you last week about that special $1,000 omakase dinner that Iron Chef Masahura Maramoto will host at his MGM restaurant on May 18th. Well, I spoke with the restaurant's executive chef, Lucas Makoviak, about the meal and what it means to have the man himself in the house. It's going to be amazing. I mean, every time we show more motors, he's here in Las Vegas. It's like he goes above and beyond. So I truly believe that besides the food, and beverage, which is slash wine sake. He's um, 
personality is gonna like you know the experience was sky to the rocket so i mean it's gonna be great Awesome. Yeah, what's it like when he comes to town? Because, you know, a lot of times the, the, the guys with the names on the marquee aren't always in the house all the time. I've been fortunate. I had him make sushi for me one night That's himself, and that was just, like, insane. But for people that haven't been here when he's around, what's the atmosphere like? Does it go up a notch when he's in town? I mean, to, obviously, yes. I mean, we do have some team coming for this um, omakase event. However, if you put this um, room black and white and just turn off the lights... That's all you need because he's going to shine the room. I mean, he's very personal. I'm chef. He comes to every single table when he's here in town. He talks to people. He sings around. He does some goofy stuff around. So he's very open. I would say maybe it doesn't sound right. Open-minded chef, but he's very personal, very approachable chef. So, yeah, when he's here, it's like, it's like you know, like club, club going. So, yeah. Very cool. Um, could you tell me how this menu was put together? Was it your creation? Was it yours along with Chef Morimoto? Or was it more of a team effort? Um, yeah. Uh, answer number three, team effort. Obviously, being with Sh- under his wings for six, seven years, pretty much, slowly, I truly believe, and I hope, gaining his respect and, you know, trust. Trust. So, obviously, the first Omakasa when we do, we co- collaborate with um, the, his the team back in New York, but mostly it was his ideas. Right now, slowly, it's going to be a third omakase when we put a lot of effort into it. We um, create the omakase, we send it to New York for his approval, and obviously, as chef, he has to tweak a couple things, and trust me or not, the menu is going to change by Thursday. Obviously, whatever is listed over here, it's going to be there, but he will put some crazy stuff around it, so you know what I mean? So it's going to be good, good experience for the guests. Can you tell me maybe one of your favorite dishes or two of your favorite dishes and just give me a description? I always go with um, either sticky ribs or um, tuna pizza. I know it's it's the most popular dish, but it's the most creative, in my opinion, and fun dish to, to make. Tuna pizza is pretty much our a tortilla, slightly brushed with sweet eel sauce, and we finish it with um, bluefin tuna, bluefin or big eye tuna on top, touch of jalapeno and anchovy sauce on top of it. So it's great, you know, great appetizers. And sticky ribs, there you have it. One of the most popular cocktail bars on the Strip is closing in late June. The Dorsey at the Venetian is going to become a another cocktail lounge. New name. It's going to be called Juliet Cocktail Room, and it'll debut, I don't know, a month or two after they close it on June 25th. Now, you know, I saw that. I don't know if I was reading an Eater story or if I saw it on social media, but I had seen, and I think the indication was that all three of the, the lounges in the cocktail collective over at the Venetian Palazzo might be getting remade. That was and- the hint I got off of social media as well, yeah. Yeah. That That is sad to me. I mean, look, I'm sure it'll be beautiful. I'm sure they'll bring in something great. But honestly, Rosina, I, I completely love Rosina. I think it's one of the best, coolest most vibe heavy heavy bars in Las Vegas. I really like hanging out over there. Also like Electra because it's kind of got that David Bowie glam rock vibe to it. There you um, go. <laughs> Dorsey was never my favorite of those three. It's just a little sure. larger than the others. Um, but um, I will miss those. So, but they they were great while they lasted, and I look forward to seeing what comes in. Uh, you're looking for a place to take mom Sunday. Uh, you might just want to learn to cook because Mother's Day is <laughs> one of the busiest days of year in the restaurant business. Also, I believe one of the most hated days by everybody in the restaurant industry when you got to deliver 20 covers all at once. But uh, we did check. This is Wednesday as we record this, and our friends at Sparrow and Wolf have a few seats left, and they've created some specialty cocktails, including one called I Can Buy Myself Flowers. Also a uh, bottomless, <laughs> as much as mom can handle uh, bubbles. 
six different Mother's Day appetizers, five entrees and a couple of desserts, share plates from the normal dinner menu. Uh, it's just wonderful. Hey, go to the Neon Feast app and book that reservation right now at Sparrow and Wolf if you are so declined. Declined? Declined. Declined. Inclined, That's perhaps? Me on the decline. <laughs> if you are so inclined. It would be an incline, not yes. a decline. Just like me. Legacy it's Club at Circa is debuting its new Skyline Sips wine tasting event. Saturday, May 20th, 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. You'll be able to sample more than 25 different wines and champagnes from renowned winemakers, not just anybody, a renowned winemaker, and get some insight from Master Sommelier Joseph Phillips of Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. All this while pairing wines with a charcuterie display by our good friend at uh, Curidon Way, Michael Stamm. One last thing bit here, uh, Evil Pies Charity Pizza of the Month. It's a tribute to the Ramones. And Al, talk to East Fremont Restaurant's GM, Samantha Bandy, about it. This month's charity slice is the Hey Ho, Let's Go, um, kind of a tribute to uh, punk rock. And this slice is pepperoni, jalapenos, and Mike's Hot Honey. What was the inspiration for it? Uh, we were just trying to think of something that's kind of fun, kind of different, but also a classic flavor combination. The timing of having a um, Ramones-themed um, charity slice works out with things that are coming into Las Vegas this month. Could you talk about that? So this is a really exciting time for punk rock. We have punk rock bowling coming up uh, at the end of the month, and this is going to be our first year that we're actually going to be participating and being a vendor inside the festival. So we figured it was the best time to do a punk rock uh, kind of charity. So the one we're doing this month is Punk Rock Saves Lives. Tell me a little bit about the charity, please. So this charity is really cool because they do so many things. They don't kind of focus just on one. And their biggest thing is kind of being there for one another, whether it be health, mental health. Uh, they do like different toy drives, food drives, all sorts of things to kind of bring the community together through punk rock. And an exciting reminder, the Picnic in the Alley is coming up on Sunday, May 21st, an event curated, run, and served up in all forms by women for everyone. Everyone 21 and over, to be clear. <laughs> for $125, you get open access to an all-inclusive experience that serves delicious food, drinks. They'll have arts, crafts, music, and more. With sponsors such as Kettle One, Casamigos, Hair the Dog Vodka, Frey Ranch Distillery, Ron Zacapa Rum, and more. And with the power of Mojave Events, 920 Events, and then, of course, the mastermind behind it all, Jolene Menina of SecretBurger.com, you're assured of a unique experience and a delicious delicious for all five of your senses tickets at picnic in the alley.com um, i'm watching you and i'm reading along on my own notes here as you say that and i love how you you just kind of said hair of the dog vodka which is a cool name to begin with but it's actually spelled h-e-r-a it the is dog, right hair yeah. of the dog so <laughs> wow very feminist greek mythology uh, vodka, right man. so <laughs> i'm digging that man i like that i like that it should work in that setting pretty well i love it um, then there's the sad reminder that Vegas Test Kitchen is closing its doors. There's one more month of events, or at least the rest of the month of May, with resident chefs, gourmet pop-ups, uh, all leading up to a food fest farewell party on Saturday, June 3rd. More information on those and the party at VegasTestKitchen.com. Sadly, I'm not going to be able to make it to that. I've got my aunt's 90th birthday party Whoa, in baby. Um, New Jersey. Well, that's pretty big. Yeah, I but, know. I'm going to be out of town, too. I won't be there for that one. Well, see, I was going to say me not being there would be a selling point. But the fact that you guys <laughs> won't be there, you know, that that is sad. Oh, 
<clears throat> hey, the English Hotel by Todd English is looking forward to the Formula One racing event in November and the Super Bowl early next year, offering a buyout of the entire hotel. You get the entire hotel for a week, 70 rooms, a celebrity chef restaurant, and a private heated pool and spa for you and up to 200 of your closest friends. The price tag, a cool $1 million. You can inquire about the special offer and all the upgrades and add-ons, because it's Vegas. You know there's upgrades and oh, add-ons, yeah. by visiting theenglishhotel.com. Uh, when you were putting that together, you say a celebrity chef restaurant. Was that actually, is that what they said in their press that release? That is exactly in okay, their Okay, because I've been trying to figure out how involved Todd is in that restaurant recently because I've been that's hearing all kinds of rumors. Yeah, I, I did wanna... the media inquiry thing, and yeah. that's exactly what I got sent, a website that has, I basically borrowed that. Okay, well, hey, yeah. good. maybe that means yeah. Todd is still involved in it, and that makes me happy if that's the Let's case. But so. we've all heard the same rumors, so right. you know, who knows? Um, but right. we love Todd. I love Todd personally. I, I don't know him that well, but he's always been kind to me. There you go. And I wanted to share that Las Vegas has its own tinned fish club. For those of us who love tinned and canned fish, conservas, and related specialty foods, there's been a lot of interest in my post lately on my own socials, so I'm encouraging everyone interested to visit Instagram and find Tinned Fish Club LV for more information on social gatherings for aficionados and newbies alike. You can also <laughs> shop local from tinned underscore fishionado, that's F-I-S-H-I-O-N-A-D-O, on Instagram. You know, one thing that I was waiting for, and I did finally find it after everybody's been hyping tinned fish. I mean, yeah. at the fancy food show and, you know, all kinds of places. Tinned fish are apparently coming back in a big way. How long until the star of the world like jump oh, on God. it like as the original oh, right? tinned fish? And I actually have come across some. I don't know if it was Bumblebee or Starkist or who the fuck it was, but I found some of those people like doing a more upscale marketing that market yeah. a, a packaging, I should say, yeah. upscale packaging that really resembles these high end tinned yep. fish. And yeah, I've been sucked into buying them, and they're still yeah. basically tuna know, fish. I, I love that it's coming back. I love that it's getting a revival. You know, my mom used to. Eat Kipper snacks when I was a kid. My dad got me into smoked oysters and it just went from there. But it was always sort of this like quirky thing that people had in their house. And now it's a thing again. And oh. uh, so, well, is anybody going to try to do it themselves? Or is this all just you, buying curated uh, stuff? Uh, that's a good question. See, that's I, a good question. I told you about the little chief smoker that I have and my yeah. father had. Well, he would load that up, you know, with two or three of them. And do I don't know five ten pounds of salmon for a day smoking, yeah. and then he would can them. He had yeah. the canner, okay. he had the cans, he had the boiling of the thing and the sealing of the the deal. And you know, I'd have cans smoked salmon forever. I think I still have one can that I will never open. A sentimental reasons. B I don't want to die because it's about fifteen <laughs> years old. One of the last batches he did. Well, isn't isn't like canning your own food sort of just a recipe for botulism or some shit like i mean <laughs> not if it's done right <laughs> yeah do it but right. if you also do it right i grew up with <laughs> yeah. yeah doing it at a club with a lot of cocktails flowing during the canning process probably not a good probably idea not good. So <laughs> i'll stick to buying it from people who have a high yeah. insurance policy <laughs> right <laughs> oh and i think that's about it thank that's you enough. to Thanks to all of our friends who are on this week's episode. Kate Gaines of Three Square, Morimoto's chef Lucas Makanovic. No, I'm good. I'm so Mac sorry. I'm going to go with Makoviak. 
Makoviak. There we go. Yeah. Thank you very much, Chef and Samantha Bandy of Evil Pie. Join us next week when we will hopefully be speaking to Brian Howard about his recent travels and how they may be reflected on the menus at Sparrow and Wolf and Half Bird. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. With Samantha Gemini Stevens and Mr. Johnson, I'm Al Mancini. Stay hungry. Stay hungry.